0: thank you i do indeed need all the help i can get often preachers when they get up so may i speak in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit because boy do you need god on your side wherever you are in this life wherever he has got you you need him would anyone like to do a reading for me we are in the book of nehemiah no no but if you've got a phone john they have these amazing lights on them because I can see that it's almost lit up out there with the amount of phones that are on. Okay, so the words that are going to be tricky are uh, Kislev, Hanani, and Hakaliah. Anyone want to try? (laughs) The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, While I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. And then randomly, before chapter 2, it says, I was cupbearer to the king. So it's just all on its own, that little sentence. I was always told, just whatever you come across in the Bible, just read it with gusto. Because everyone else is sat there going saying, Ah, that's how you say that word. <laughs> Have been here. Anyone guess how long this church has been here? Who knows how long this church has stood? Those people who were here this morning know it was 105. 100, 105 years. Yeah, the, the stone at the back there says um, it was laid. 105 years ago They've been celebrating in this place We've been celebrating in this place The provision of God, the vision of God The glory of God, the salvation of God The good news, the gospel And my dream of course is that for another 105 years We will continue to proclaim the gospel And see the vision of God and the provision of God in this place Of course it is now, if we look at our text, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah for a couple of weeks in the evenings, just two weeks, I think Claire's preaching next week um, about a strategic plan that Nehemiah had. And then if you join us in the mornings, we're going to go a little bit further. Um, Guy's going to be preaching one week, and uh, Evan's also going to be preaching a little bit more about the passage of Nehemiah. And if you know anything about it, about 150 years earlier than them the passage was written about, Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon who invaded Israel carried many of their people away as slaves. You might say that uh, Israel had lost their vision as the people of God. They'd forgotten, perhaps, about who they were, what it was they were being called to do. The Jewish people, the Israelites, urgently needed someone who had the vision to return Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls and the nation of Israel to its former glory. God had someone in mind to do that job, I should have a cup-bearer, right? <laughs> Maybe. His name was Nehemiah. And God was about to use Nehemiah to begin the process of rebuilding the city of Jerusalem and to bring about the restoration of his people. Now, our nation is thousands of years removed from Nehemiah. I was having a conversation earlier with one of my children about context, believe it or not, and how we can kind of read stuff that was written thousands of years ago and how does it apply to our lives today. Many people will say, well, that was then. You know, that was then. This is the 21st century. We live in a day when our nation, perhaps your community, maybe your workplace, is desperately in need of people of vision. We need people of vision, and you and I can become the people that God gives that vision to for his glory to make a difference for his name's sake even today so my first question to you is do you have a vision for what God wants you to do are you uh, awake to that are you alive to that are you living that out have you even thought about whether you've got a vision have you ever thought about whether God wants to use you at all Maybe you are. Maybe you're right in the midst of that. Maybe you haven't considered that. I hope and pray that you want to have a vision, even if you haven't got one right now. Even if you think, I'm not really sure I'm being used by God. I hope that you want to be. God can use all sorts of people from all sorts of walks of life, and He can give you a vision a vision to accomplish something for Him. And the way that people tend to explain vision is that it's a preferred future. So it's the way to see things in the future which are different, better, smarter, sharper, richer, more blessed than they are today. And I believe that the vision, a vision, your vision, that gets given to you by God can only be accomplished with God's help. You cannot do it on your own. He gives it to you, and he must be active and involved in achieving that vision. So so as I say, have a look at Nehemiah, and particularly tonight, just have a look at this prayer that Nehemiah prays. words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. The first thing you, you read about Nehemiah and his prayer is his passion for the people of Israel. He sat down and wept. Shortest sentence in the Bible? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. I don't know whether you've ever wept. I'm sure you have. There's a difference between crying, sobbing, and weeping. Jesus wept. Nehemiah wept. He found out they were in trouble and disgrace, and he wept for them. The passion that Nehemiah has for the people of Israel was given by God, has to have been. I wonder if you've ever had a passion given to you by God. You've seen something, or you've seen a situation, you've read something, maybe you've seen something on the news, and you just know, burning inside here, that, that isn't right. That shouldn't be the case. This should be different. This isn't the way things were planned, I'm sure, by God. You know that it could be different, but you also know that it should be different in here, not just up here. It's not just a head thing, but there's something tugging at your heart, saying this, this isn't the way things we made to be. There's a great guy who I love um, following and listening to his stuff. It's called Bill Hybels. He calls that a holy discontent. You can have a holy discontent. I wonder is what it is that breaks your heart. Just pause for a minute. Just stop. Holy Spirit, will you reveal to these wonderful people gathered here today What it is that breaks your heart, and will you put it on their heart? Maybe there's a place, a a situation, a person. If you take your time to listen to God right now, I promise he will speak to you. If you don't hear him, it's okay. Come and talk to me afterwards, and we'll work things through. Back when I was a student in Bristol, And I was working with a church there, and we were in a high-rise block of flats, and we were just taking a bit of friendship to um, a group of people uh, in that high-rise. And uh, I was chatting to this guy one day who was same sort of age as me, and um, he was telling me about how he just lived for uh, his paycheck, if you like, his two weeks' money to come in. And it would come in at 12 o'clock midnight on a whatever it was, Monday night, whatever. And at one minute past midnight, he would draw out the money, he would get as much booze as he possibly could, and he would drown his sorrows. And for the following sort of 10 days, he'd just exist, and for the final three days, he'd have absolutely nothing. And I wept. On the way home from chatting to that guy, I absolutely wept. And I remember hearing God saying about how his heart was breaking for this man because it wasn't the way things were supposed to be. So I said, God, will you give me a heart for people like that? And he said to me, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. Okay, Lord. Maybe you've got a passion. Maybe God did stir something in your heart there and then. Maybe somebody was brought to mind, a situation. Maybe it's a whole group of people. Perhaps it's a real injustice that you see being committed, a travesty somewhere. Maybe it's something that you want... brought to mind and it's something that you already are involved in here perhaps it's our food bank our food bank is great at putting a sticking plaster on people and helping them through a very short period of time whilst they're in crisis we really want to get to grips with why these people are in crisis to begin with so we're just having a look at the moment about whether we might start doing some drug and alcohol rehab as well because there's something that is putting these people in that place to start with Um, Maybe it's for people who are caught up in domestic violence. We've heard testimony about that over the last months. Perhaps that's something that God's stirring you to get involved in. Now, a women's ministry are involved in supporting a charity called Restored who are looking at ending domestic violence. Um, And probably about, I don't know, as I've been kind of dwelling on it with God over the past three or four months, I think I've heard him saying, I want you to get involved. I want you to provide a shelter for these people. I want you to have a house where these people can come in safety and find refuge. I want you to go and buy a refuge. And so I said, okay, that's quite a big ask, God, because I think we're in the middle of some other things as well. But uh, if you want me to go and get a house, then, well, you're going to have to provide that house for us about a month ago somebody said to me have you ever heard of a charity just randomly have you heard of a charity called Green Pastures they buy houses for homeless people so I had a brief look and uh, I put it to one side didn't really think too much of it the following Wednesday oh she also said I'd love to get involved in ministering to uh, women I particularly want to help counselling women Uh, the following Wednesday I was at a conference in Fulham and uh, I caught this eyes the guy this guy's eyes as I walked through Fulham High Street uh, he's pushing a pram. And I'm off to some Christian conference. I thought nothing of it. Ten minutes later, I arrive at the church. He stood in front of me in the queue with his child. Um, I end up chatting to him, of course. And 15 minutes in, he says he's a pastor from East London, and he works for a charity called, yeah, you guessed it, Green Pastures. Um, he said, Do "You know it at all?" I say, "Well, that's really funny." Um, I said, "Because I think God's actually calling our church to buy a refuge." Um, he said. Um, He said, that's exactly what we do. He said, I'll buy you a house. So I just wonder whether God might be in that, and it's worth exploring. Maybe it's a passion for people who are caught up in domestic (coughs) violence. Maybe those people people are on your heart. There are so many other things wrong with our community, with our nation, that I'm sure God will stir you in many different ways. Don't ignore that. Don't just put it to one side. Don't just say it's for someone else. Somebody else will deal with it. That's the beginning of God putting a vision in your heart and the beginning is vital. How we respond is vital. Not just for yourself, not just for your well-being, but how it's going to affect that situation. God has already come to visit earth once to change everything. Now he is leaving it down to us, his church, to do the change, to be involved in that. Uh, When you're in a vacancy as a church, one of the things they do is provide a parish profile. This kind of uh, says what sort of vicar they're looking for. Um, it says, What are the problems? It says, What are the really good things? And it says, All about the ministry of the church. Um, and it kind of gets advertised nationally, and people apply. And one of the things that your parish profile said, St. Saviour said, was, We are desperately lacking in space. Um, our ministry, our church has grown so much. I was told this morning, Do you know, they were going to knock this place flat build houses flats apartments and buy the, build a tiny little chapel because the church had got so small that they wanted to redevelop it and sell it off isn't that incredible imagine if they'd done that we wouldn't be sitting here now it's incredible that they didn't do that but for a hundred years can I, could I have the thank you for a hundred years the back of our church which probably a few of you don't get down to see looks like that You know, I'm not a massive buildings fan. You know, the church is... The ecclesia is the called-out people of God. It's not the German word, Kirch, which is the building. All right? I know, I've got no problems with people who do love their buildings. But even I would say that does not glorify God. <laughs> That's a, a temporary structure, basically, where they were just on this side here, when you go through to the toilets. Um, well, the intention was obviously to build another chapel, the same as on on that side, and to break through these arches here. The building's never really been completed. And next picture, that's the other side. The if you come in through the back there, because we don't have a door that opens from the outside, um, you have to come in through the back to uh, get into church. Um, that's yeah. Yeah, I think this picture tells a thousand stories, doesn't it? What else we got? That's where our young people meet. That's that room just through there. It's a community room. Um, it's just the other side of this glass. So often when you're preaching and they're in there, having mean, oh, sorry, you've passed us in the room, I just realised. You can hear what they're saying. And I'm sure they can hear what we're saying. And they don't get to worship because... Uh, well we're worshipping in here and they're trying to kind of well do what they do through that little bit of glass with us singing loudly glory and praises to god and then they then have to pipe things down a little bit Uh, we keep the bins in there as well by the way just to make the youth feel really at home that's where we keep the bins for the kitchens Uh, that is uh, essentially my study in my as part of my house uh, it's where our kids meet at the moment so our 7 to 11 year olds there can be up to 35 of them packed in what is essentially a lounge, your front room uh, 35 of them uh, plus their teachers plus the people who are teaching um, the church thank you I don't use it as a study because I find the hassle of trying to put everything away so the kids can use it just a little bit too much So that is actually my office so that's in the what we call the glebe sometimes it's called the glebe it's the church office there's jim working away you didn't know who took that picture did you jim thank you for the work that you offer the church here um so we have to clear all that uh or, or the kids team clear all that to get mini church in there and there's loads of um, four five six year olds that run around in that space and then we return it back to an office on the monday morning uh, what else we got oh yeah. toilets if you've ever been in one of our Church Council PCC VLT meetings, you will have heard me go on about these wonderful Dyson things, which I long to have. I don't know if anyone has one of those going spare. You know, the things that just dry, aren't they just magic? You put your hands in, it's like a, it just blows it dry. I love those. Weird, I know. Um, but our toilets, uh, there's toilets, that's that toilet there, and then there's some toilets in there um, which are pretty cold and slippery and the door's broken um, what else we got that's the kitchen <laughs> well it's one of there's another kitchen in there but I don't think the oven works in there that oven doesn't work The um, dishwasher's over in the church office and that, that is literally a. Bo- that, is, that is that room I and mean, that's the fridge that's one of those kind of sit on top tiny little fridges um, and you can't plug too many things in because it just blows the electrics um, and you can't pull out, don't pull out that top drawer. If you ever go in there, don't. Don't, 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 don't. We will never. That whole kitchen will collapse. I think that's. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's behind those screens. We haven't had those screens there for too long. But um, we're desperate for storage here. Um, we have uh, built something there to hide all the children's toys that they use during the week. Um, and. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's a unit here, there's a unit there for bits of Stephen kind of music worship type stuff, but that's behind those screens. That's a load of worship stuff that we keep behind there. And the last picture is our food bank at the moment, which is kind of like busy. Busy. We haven't got enough room for that either. Thank you. There is a problem. There is a problem here, and we can't just leave it like that any longer. There is a problem that exists and we can't leave it like that any longer. One of the visions I believe God has given me is to carry out the rebuilding of this church, to make this church fit for purpose for its mission and its ministry in this century and for the next 20, 30, 40 years. So let's have a look at how Nehemiah first responded. He prayed... For some days, it says, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. See, Nehemiah just knows that the problem is way, way, way too big for him. But he knows who it is, who he can turn to for help. So there are some important things, if you go back, if you have a look at this scripture, please do so in your own time. Some important things we can learn so, as we pray about something that God is burdening our heart with, we can pray effectively just like Nehemiah did. Nehemiah recognizes God for who he is. 1 5 says, Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. One of the first things you've got to get to grips with is just how great God is, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what situation. No matter what type of things are being thrown at you at this present, you need to know how good God is, how awesome God is. Nehemiah glorifies God by recognizing how good God is. It helps give us perspective when we pray. It helps us to understand that we we it's not just some sort of incantation. They're not just words. It's not the words that have the power. It's not the words that we pray that we have the power in. It's who we're praying to. It's the God that we pray to who has the power. When we do this, when we recognize God for who he is, we know that we're praying to a God who can really help us in our time of need, in our situation, with what he's burdening our heart with just like praying to a God who can help us with an unfinished building that stood here for a hundred years. Now, well, then, he goes on to repent. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. I believe there's something in here that says that we have to be clean to do what God wants us to do. Now, we will never, ever be perfectly clean. Not until the day we are face-to-face with Jesus. So it doesn't mean you can't get on with things. But it does mean, and we are called to repent, which just means to turn back to God we've not heard that word before just means to turn back to God to say we're sorry for the stuff that we've done that, that separates us the stuff that we've said I know speaking from my own personal experience that when I sin the after effects for me are like I feel you may not feel this it's fine. Not everyone has to feel the same way the vicar does. I feel like sometimes like the power has gone from me. It's a really weird feeling. until the point where I turn back to God. To the point where I return to him and I say, I'm sorry. I'm messed up. Screwed up. Forgive me. our visionary prayer to be successful, to be effective, I believe it's important that we repent of our sins, the stuff that separates us from God. So I encourage you to do that, to keep a short count with God. Then what happens? Well, he remembers God's promises, Nehemiah 1, to 8-10. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations but if you return to me and obey my commands then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand so Nehemiah just reminding God (laughs) like God needs a reminder about God's promise to his people to restore his people and um God doesn't need to be reminded of what his promises are but he does like us to know his promises to trust in his promises and you will find his promises written large in this book here if you can read this book if you have a problem, if you're struggling to read it come to me, talk to me, that is part of my job to encourage you to stand on the word of God If you can read about his promises, he does like to hear that from you. It's a father who loves to give good gifts. I'm sure there are certain scriptures going through your mind at the moment of God's goodness that you've read here over the years, that you've been a follower of his. Some of the promises that God has in here. of the things that trouble God's heart spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free he has a passion for his church Matthew says I will build my church and the gates of Hades the gates of hell will not overcome his church there are so many good promises in here if you get a chance uh, google do it now if you want to 365 promises 365 the number promises.com sign up to their alert every day around about midday you will get a piece of scripture which is a promise of God and that has kept me going uh, for about three or four years I love it 365 promises you'll get a promise of God sent to your phone or your computer then he requests specific help Lord let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant grant him favour if God has burdened you with a passion if he's put something on your heart and you sense you have a vision for how it can be better then continue to pray but ask God specifically for his help for at least three possibly four months Nehemiah has been praying and fasting and God's been working on his heart in his heart to show him that that he Nehemiah is the one who is to carry out the rebuilding of the walls now I've been praying and considering about rebuilding this church for about 18 months. Not that I'm in a competition with Nehemiah. And as a church, we've been looking at this problem for a number of years now. So for me, the time for us to call to arms is now. The time is now to do something about it. Finally, Nehemiah comes to the point where he sees that he, he is the one who is to carry out God's vision. To pray specifically for that. Your part to play in it. This church and where He's placed you. And the new thing, perhaps, that He's calling you to. Maybe it's a ministry of the church. We're definitely lacking space. You can see that. If we had more space, boy, we could do way more ministry. Way more of God's mission. And God would be glorified. People would come into the kingdom of God. More people would bow. knee more people would confess his name is above all other names. Just show me those pictures once more. Just yeah, one through them, Gare, thank you. We can't stay here any longer. It's unthinkable. It's unimaginable that we would stay here any longer. We have to move from here to there. You can see the trouble we're in. In a few weeks' time, we'll have some architects around and we'll have some plans and some drawings about some of the dreams, some of the vision of what we believe this church can and will look like. And you are invited to come along to that. So will be on the 5th of Feb doesn't mean that you can't turn up to church between now and the 5th of Feb but do come on the 5th of Feb it's going to include all sorts of amazing things lastly just as we finish Nehemiah doesn't let his position hinder him I was cut bearer to the king anyone seen the Bear Grylls and Barack Obama um, shot so he's they're out in the wilds and um he offers um, Barak something to drink and Barak looks at his people. You know, Can I, is it all right for me to drink this? That's what a cupbearer was like. It would be the person who basically tested it. If one of his people had stepped in there and said, I'll try it for you before you drink it because people would want to kill kings in those days, get rid of the king, kind of put somebody else in. So often they would poison the chalice and wine or whatever else they were drinking to try and get rid of the king. So they'd have a cupbearer in order to kill that person first if it was a dodgy batch. What a job that would be, hey? What a choice job that is. In our lives, we can have things that God places on our hearts, but we just say, no, it's not me. You're calling someone else. You can't really mean me. I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm ill-equipped. It will take too much of my time. I just can't do it. I'm not good in front of other people. And on and on and on we can go. If God is placing something on your heart, he will give you everything you need in order to do that, to fulfill the vision. One of the difficult things, I think, is that the longer you say no, the harder your heart becomes. And hard hearts were an awful thing for the people of Israel and the people of this book to have. Hard hearts are an awful thing for us to have as a church. When God wants to bring about a change in your family, in your situation, in this nation, he chooses you. He chooses people in order to help accomplish it. The change isn't just going to be magical. You aren't just going to wake up one day and everything is going to be rosy. God wants us, every one of us, to be change makers, to improve the way things are in our family, in our church, in our nation. They're great to have around change makers, salt and light, wonderful people. They add value wherever they go, wherever they're placed. They recognize the need for change. They believe that change is possible. Two different things. You can recognize the need for change in church, but it doesn't mean that you believe that change is possible. Your statements will show, actually, whether you are one or the other. If you keep talking about the need for change, I wonder the year when things will improve. It shows you don't really believe change is possible when it is possible now. A lot of people believe change is possible, but they're expecting it in 5, 10, 20 years' time. That's when the breakthrough will come. But what God can do, he can do right now. So we heard the story this morning, a testimony of a woman who was, and I know because I was there, pretty much dead. She had drunk herself into oblivion. Everyone had given up hope for her. and people prayed, God intervened, and she is back to life again. It's like the stories you read in this book. What God can do, he can do now. He doesn't need five more years to change things for you or your family. He isn't asking us to give him another 10 years to change things in our church because he is not limited by time or by circumstance. It is possible to change. Real change is possible because real power is available. Last thing, a change maker, which is what Nehemiah was is a problem solver, not a problem analyst. Problem analyst examines the problem, identifies the cause, can give a detailed breakdown of a problem, but that's where it ends. It doesn't do anything to change or solve the problem he identifies. The world today is full of problem analysts. There, I say it, the church is full of problem analysts. No need to put your hands up. But what the world needs is problem solvers. We need you to be part of the solution. We need you to be part of the solution. So I want to encourage you that real change is possible. But it starts with you. It starts with your heart. Don't just believe it up there in your head. Let it sink down to your heart. And if God is laying something on your heart then he will equip you hmm. um. God is working God is at work here in this church and you can join in and I encourage you to join in to play your part to get involved, to get all in. I encourage you to do that. And I can say that because God has made me the leader of this church, not to leave it where it is, not to keep the status quo, but to move the church from here to there, to his vision of the future, to his preferred future than where we are right now, to see lives being radically transformed in the love and the power of Jesus Christ God is working in this his church as we answer the call to the vision that he puts in our hearts Amen Amen Thank you for listening Let's pray together, the band are going to come up and lead us Lord, we thank you uh, for the stories contained in this book. We thank you that they are an inspiration to us today. Father, we thank you that you are always listening. We ask that your ear would be attentive to our prayer, that you would stir us up, you would fan into flames the passion that you are putting inside of us for your vision for a preferred future. Thank you that your Father loves to give good gifts to his children. We pray right now, Lord, that you would give what is needed to your children. Courage. Strength. Skill. Wisdom. Joy.